to Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. I'm Richard Dugan, your host, and I thank you so much for joining us here on the program as we come your way Sundays at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m., Monday mornings at 1 a.m., streaming live at those times. And we are also on podcasts at SoundCloud, iTunes, TuneIn Radio, Spotify, Stitcher, Player FM. A lot of other locations folks are reposting. And as of this broadcast, 23,500 plus listens. I'm amazed. I am absolutely amazed at the number of listens that you have uh, put up and all over the world. One of these days I'll sit here and I will uh, give you a list of all the countries that we are being heard in. Uh, And I mean, they're all over the place. Uh, Africa, Asia, Russia, uh, England, Ireland, the list goes on, South America and so forth and so on. So we hope that you will join us. We hope you'll go to our guest website. We'll be giving you that address shortly. And uh, we hope that you will uh, go there and find out more about what they are all about. We, that's part of what this is all about, to help you continue your transformational process. We also want you to participate in 2020. Now we're talking about the decade of the 2020s. The decade of perfect vision that we want you to go within, spend some time in that peaceful, quiet, calm space. Get that still small voice speaking to you, giving you inspiration, giving you guidance, giving you peace and calming words of encouragement and support and information that will help you through the day. And so with that, we are going to introduce our very special guests here on the program. They are going to share with us a fascinating uh, conversation into um, a gentleman's authorship, if you will. He is, a, he is an author. He's one of our guests. And uh, we are going to, um, uh, we are going to um, uh, continue this, this dialogue with our, our folks And we have, oh, I see what happened. There we go. Beg your pardon. I made a mistake and turned off my video. (laughs) There we go. And the reason why today is important for me to have my video up, because one of our guests, that's right, ladies and gentlemen, he's going to converse with us. He is deaf. He cannot hear one word I'm saying, but he can read lips. It's far better, better than I. And his, uh, I want to say his ghostwriter, so to speak, who is one of our, also one of our guests, is joining us here on the program. And his name is, uh, is Paul. Let me see. I'm going to actually, I'm trying to uh, bring something up on the screen because I want to show folks in our shared screen, I want to show them some of the work uh, that you folks uh, have put together. Uh, and we're going to talk to Paul Smith, who is the author of these books you are seeing going by. But the main focus of what we're going to be talking about here is coming up in just a moment. So stay right there. Parenting, leading with stories. Well, that's what this program is all about is stories. And Paul and Kenny, first of all, thank you so much for joining us. And there's the one we're wanting to talk about. Four days with, uh, well, it just flipped on by and that's not fair. Be that <laughs> as it may, we're going to pop out of that. Um, four days with, uh, with Kenny uh, Tedford. And we thank you both for joining us here on the program. Thanks for being with us. Thanks for the invite. Yeah, you're very welcome. It's good to be here. And Kenny, thank you for joining us. It's a pleasure to have you with us and, and, uh, and sharing this time. This is, for, for me, this is extraordinary from the program standpoint. Uh, I myself spent a lot of time with 
uh, as a kid growing up and even as a young adult with blind people because I was at one time legally blind. So uh, I thank you for sharing yourself, your time and your experiences, both with Paul, but also with here's, us here on Tell Me Your Story. Thank you. Good. You, well, you and Kenny have uh, more in common than we thought because Kenny, uh, Kenny was born legally blind in one eye um, and his vision's not great in the other, but a little bit better than that. Um, so uh, yeah, you, you both have some, uh, some struggles that you've overcome. Good for you. Absolutely. And I will tell you, Kenny, that one of the perspectives that I took very early on had to do with, uh, had to do with um, uh, a philosophy that I took on, and that was this, uh, that what I had, though I did call it blindness, that's when you know, someone would ask me, I wasn't visually challenged. I was blind. Uh, I was also a Phoenician. I was born and raised in Phoenix, Arizona. So I wow. would tell people, ah, yes, this was one of my first jokes that I came up with. I am a Phoenician blind. <laughs> so uh, you pull the shades and there you go. Um, first of all, Paul, Tell us about this whole aspect. You, I mean, you are an author, you're a, a speaker, you're a coach, you're a counselor, a consultant, and so forth. And your main focus is telling stories like Kenny Tedford's story. Tell us how that began for you. Why did stories become so important for you? You know, storytelling in my professional world, I guess, became important as I was halfway through my 30-year career. And I started, I, I realized that the leaders that I admired the most, uh, it looks like we may have lost Kenny, hopefully he'll, he'll be able to rejoin us, um, that the leaders I admired most were really good at storytelling. And, and they didn't teach me that in business school. They didn't teach me that when I joined the Accenture. They didn't teach me that when I joined the Procter & Gamble company. And uh, so welcome back, Kenny. Um, and so I set out on my own little personal learning journey to learn about storytelling. And I started interviewing CEOs and executives all over the world um, to, to learn how they're using the art and the science of storytelling to make themselves a better leader. And that's, that ended up leading to my first book, Lead with a Story. Uh, and that led to a complete career change. So now that's what I do is I, I write books and teach people about the art and the science of storytelling to help them be more effective at work. You know, it's interesting because uh, one of the early series of interviews that I did with this pro on this program uh, back in 2007, 2008, which is when we started our program, September 7th, uh, had to do with having guests on who were professional storytellers. Mm. And one of the things that I remember them sharing with me was that the oral tradition was very important in the old world, if you will, depending upon how old your world is. Mm -hmm. And that it was a tradition that was handed down from generation to generation. And that the technique was that you didn't just hear the story and then you tried to repeat it the best you could. No, no, no. You had to learn it word by word for word. And you had to tell the story exactly the same way every time. Otherwise, the story wasn't the same. Yeah, so that's, that's the, part of the science. The original, yeah, the, the original storytellers in tribes, this is in the prehistoric times, before the written word, before writing had been invented, 
that's the way people remembered what happened is they would create stories about it. And then the shamans and the storytellers would, would memorize the stories. And it, it's easier to memorize a story than it is to memorize a, a boring recitation of chronological facts. And so the art of storytelling was, they were the original historians and politicians and, and leaders were the ones who could remember the stories. That was the way they captured their history. Mm-hmm. Well, it is uh, something that you have done, uh, obviously, in the process of teaching people, as you've just said, about the art and science uh, of telling stories. Now, you refer to it as <clears throat> primarily in business, but we're still we're telling stories all the time. Mm-hmm. Matter of fact, I got to thinking about. Uh, a simple conversation that one might have similar to what we're doing right here. What Kenny might share with us as well as we're going to have him do uh, in terms of his story. But even in certain phrases that we use, we are painting a picture. It may not be a very uh, uh, um, a big picture, flamboyant, very, uh, very detailed picture, but it's still a picture. Um, I'm trying to think of, of a phrase that we might use, for example, well, let's say the starting of this program. Welcome to Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. Well, I've kind of just told a story. Tell me your story. Tell. Speak to me. Mm-hmm. Your, your story. Uh, you. Coming from you. And then story is that book that we uh, that would we, we might pick up or Kindle nowadays or the technology. New, something that is something like a new car smell, you know, or shiny, what have you. Mm-hmm. Paradigm, you have to know what a paradigm is in order to know what it is we're talking about. And of course, a different view, a different concept, a different idea, a different philosophy for a new shiny world where we live. So I've kind of already told quite a story just in that phrase, haven't I? Well, I, uh, I think stories can definitely be used uh, in a lot, a lot of places, not just in the business world. In fact, that's why my, my second book was Parenting with a Story. It's about stories you tell your kids to teach them uh, character traits and life lessons you want them to learn. Um, I think the introduction to your show, I, I probably wouldn't call that a story. I think it was an invitation to tell okay. a story. All right. But it in itself probably wasn't a story in that it doesn't have a main character with okay. a time and a place and an event that happens and a challenge and a struggle and a, uh, a resolution. You know, in the traditional sense, I wouldn't have called it that, but it was definitely an invitation to tell a, a lot story. Of parts. A lot of parts to a story then. Yeah. Okay. But what I'm thinking of in terms of what I, my analogy, if you will, was more, I was maybe not telling a story, but more, I was sort of painting a picture. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. With those words and that we do that. And so the words that we use represent symbols that hopefully Mm -hmm. we all have. Now, if we were using telepathy right now, this would be kind of a boring program, Yeah. but you and I would not lose anything in translation because our thoughts we would be painting the same picture with the same images. You'd see the images that I'm seeing. Now, mm. how you interpret those images certainly is still up for interpretation by you, the individual. So that's where when you start telling a story with all of these parts that you've described, um, it, gets, it gets very complicated in that how can you, there's really no way, and this is a question for you, there's really no way for you to tell a story 
whether it be for business, whether it be as a parent, whether it be around a campfire, that everybody is going to get the same understanding or meaning, correct? That's correct. And that is one of the risks with using storytelling is that there's a little bit more of a risk that different people will interpret the story slightly differently, which is a little bit less of a risk if you just tell people what you want them to think and do, you know, just bossing people around or, you know, whatever, you know, you you can communicate in prose uh, a little bit more explicitly and succinctly than you can with story. But what you miss out on when you do that is the rest of the really personal human meaning, the emotional connection that comes with that um, and the creativity that it unleashes, that storytelling unleashes. So there are definitely pros and cons to using storytelling, which is why I never encourage anybody to just use one or the other. You need to use both. Um, in fact, I, I tell people you're at work, your stories are probably at home too. Your stories should probably be 10 to 15% of the words coming out of your mouth. 85 to 90% of the conversations you have will just be normal conversation like you and I are having now. But one out of every six or seven, you know, not conversations, but one sixth or one seventh of the time that you're talking, you'll probably throw a story in there, which will add a whole new level of meaning and understanding and context to the conversation. Yeah. I remember a joke I heard. I won't tell it, but I remember a joke that I heard when I was a kid and I used to watch Johnny Carson on the, uh, on the Tonight Show. Mm-hmm. And of course, his opening monologue, da-da-da-da-da. And, but this joke I didn't hear on the Johnny Carson show. I heard it some, from other, some other source. But it was one of those jokes that you could tell. And you could make it short or you could make it long. And so I would tell it a little differently each time, you know, and it would get shorter and, lo- and longer and longer and longer and longer. And then one day, believe it or not, I heard them tell that joke on the Johnny Carson show. Now, I couldn't take credit for it because I heard it from someone else. But I just thought it was so unique that that joke had made it that far. Hmm. But when we're talking about stories uh, and we want to share, let's, let's talk about history, the story of our past. Um, how do we, can we even tell the whole story, the good, the bad, and the ugly, uh, without, without writing a tome like War and Peace by Tolstoy. Um, yeah. But how, how do we, uh, how can you convey all of the elements that took place in an event, especially if you're telling it just from your perspective? Yeah, well, I, I, you can't is yeah. the answer. Uh, you can only tell your perspective. In fact, one of the lessons I teach my students in class is I I tell them about something that happened to me when I was in the 11th grade, my first day of history class. You're asking about history. Mm -hmm. First day of history class, you know, we got into class and the teacher was telling us all about how the uh, class was going to work and two midterms and one final and all that administrative stuff. And right about that moment, three guys came bursting into the back of the room wearing ski masks, carrying guns, ran to the front of the room, knocked the teacher down, pointed the gun at him, stole his wallet, took the grade book off the desk and left all in about 15 seconds. Wow. That was honest to God. That was my first day of the 11th grade of my junior year of high school, 1984, Conway High School. Um, And then after they left, the teacher got up, assured us he was okay and said, okay, 
everyone relax because that was staged. Those were my seniors from last year. Your first homework assignment is to get out a piece of paper and a pencil and write down everything that just happened with as much detail as possible. And of course, you know, we're still just freaking out because this just happened, but you know, we do what he says and we write down what we remember and he goes and collects all the pages and he takes them to the front of the room and he reads every single one of them to us. And Richard, every single one of them was different. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and the lesson was that if 25, 17 year olds can't remember accurately what just happened 30 seconds ago, how on earth are historians going to be sure about what happened a hundred years ago yeah. or a thousand years ago? And so the, the, my long winded answer to your question is of course you can't express everything that happened from just one person's perspective. The answer is you've got to get more than one person's story about what happened. You need multiple perspectives to really understand what really happened. I remember, uh, and I'm going to share this and we're going to get to Kenny because uh, he's chomping at the bit there to, to get started. Um, but um, I remember I was taking a photography class in junior college back in 1979, black and white film. I, could, I was able to process everything from the negative all the way through to the print. It was, oh, it was fabulous. And I went to an intersection uh, near my, in my neighborhood where there had just been a car accident. And of course, I remember the, the old adage that you can ask 10 people what happened and you're going to get 10, 10 different answers, just like what you experienced in 84. And so what I did was, I w- carefully, I went around the accident and started snapping pictures to get a, as many different points of view mm. of that accident as I could. It wasn't for anything other than for me. Uh, that's what this program is about. For both Kenny, Paul, and our listeners who are just joining us maybe for the first time, this program is about presenting as many points on that circle as is possible so that you can have the opportunity to make new choices. That's what this program is about, choices, and knowledge of those choices to help make your dreams come true. Well, if you don't know those choices exist, you can't choose them. And there are people who live, especially in this country, who have been living the same lifestyle that their parents and their grandparents and their great-grandparents have been living on public assistance. And there's no judgment here. Don't get me wrong. I'm not judging. I'm just saying that because of the lack of opportunities that they have been able to take advantage of, that they didn't know were even there, all they know is this one way of doing things. Uh, do you remember the story of uh, uh, holiday cooking? And um, uh, uh, the kids are in the kitchen helping, let's just say, grandma cook, and they're going to have a ham. And grandma gets out the pan to put the ham in, but she has to cut the ends off of the, of the ham, right? And then she puts it in the pan and puts it in the oven, and away we go. One of the kids is really kind of befuddled by this and was asking grandma, well, grandma, I don't understand. You know, I've been here for several Christmases, and you do that every year. You cut the ends of the ham off, and I don't understand why you do that. She said, well, it's the only way it will fit in the pan. So she doesn't get a bigger pan. She cuts the ends of the ham off. Uh, So what we're trying to do is give you a bigger pan here, folks. That's what we're trying to do. We are talking here with, uh, with, with Paul Smith and with Kenny Tedford. And we're talking about a book, Four Days with uh, Kenny Tedford, 
life through the eyes of a child trapped in a partially blind man's blind and deaf man's body. Uh, first of all, I want to welcome you again to the program uh, and uh, to the, the conversation that we're having here. I thank you for participating in the conversation, uh, Kenny. Uh, how did you first come across Paul? Because I, th I find that rather interesting uh, in that respect, because to be honest with you, there is not a lot of mixing of individuals within the disabled community from outside, unless it's something that you've been exposed to. I myself used to hang out at the Blind Center. I worked for a radio reading service for the blind and visually impaired as my first radio job. So, you know, this is nothing new to me from that standpoint. And I got to tell you, some of these people are the most incredible, most intelligent, and most fun-loving. You just, you by the way, you, you, you seem to laugh every so often. You're having a good time with life. But tell me about how uh, you first came across and met Paul. How I met Paul? Yes. Uh-huh. Well, if you don't mind, I'm going to twitch it over to Paul. Because oh, okay. he's, he's the one who initiated the meeting. Okay. Paul? Yeah. So uh, we were both speaking at a national storytelling uh, convention. He was on one stage and I was on another stage. So we didn't know that the other one was there. And then we ended up going to a third person's performance and we both ended up sitting on the front row. Uh, and you know, you have to imagine me sitting there on the front row waiting for the performance to start. And here comes this 60 year old kind of round, you know, balding man with a, you know, a 20 something young man with him. And the, the young man pulls out one of the chairs and turns it around backwards with his back to the stage and faces this guy, Kenny, whom I hadn't met yet, and just stares at him for five minutes until the performance starts. And I thought, well, this is weird. <laughs> What's going on? And then as soon as the performer started, the young man started to do sign language. And so that's when I knew that the man sitting next to me was deaf. And I just thought that was fascinating that a deaf man would come to a three-day storytelling festival. So at lunch, we had lunch together and I met him and just started, began to hear his fascinating life story, which is what led to, you know, me ended up uh, writing his, his, uh, his life story. But that was the beginning. And what was it about his story that compelled you to write it? Yeah, so the, the main thing was that, you know, as that one hour lunch unfolded and I began to hear more about him being born deaf and partially blind and with a, a, a learning disability and he couldn't speak till he was 10 years of age. And so you kind of have to imagine some kind of combination of Helen Keller and Forrest Gump, you know? Um, and I just imagine myself, if, if I was born with those kind of challenges, I would probably be a, a bitter, angry person. I probably would not be a very nice person. Mm -hmm. And, uh, but the man in front of me was just the most charming man I think I'd ever met. And that fascinated me. And I, I really wanted to know how could that be? How can, how can he take on life with all of these challenges that I don't have the burden of, having to work through and yet be such a well-adjusted, kind and generous human being. And I, I, I wanted to dig into that and find out more. And I um, did. It appears that you also learned sign language. Oh, well, a tiny bit, but a tiny uh, bit. Okay. mostly he reads lips. Well, the three of us have something also in common because back when I, uh, after I had my lens implant and was able to drive, 
I was taking, actually before I, uh, I was learning to drive, before I took my test and, and got my license, I was taking, uh, I, went, I decided I was going to take a sign language class. Now, the reason? My wife was blind. Well, now that makes absolutely no sense from, to most people, right? No, why would you take a sign language class if your wife is blind? Because my wife could feel my hands making the signs. And what we did, we did this for a 24-hour period for each of us. We had, because we were very much into a spiritual process we were, we, were, we were going through, we decided that each of us was going to have a day of silence. Well, that's not going to work too well for her, me being silent. So I needed to find another way of communicating. And even though I knew how to use a Perkins Brailler, uh, that was a little, uh, you know, clunky. So she would feel my hands and so forth. I, by the way, I do have to give her, uh, she is my former wife. Uh, I have to give her a lot of credit because one evening we were sitting on the couch. She wanted a cup of hot tea. Now, this was her day of silence. And I accidentally spilled the tea in her lap. She didn't make a sound. Not one sound. Um, it turns out also that one of the other students in the sign language class turned out to be the driving test instructor from the DMV. He ended up being my driving instructor to take my test, my practical. Did not cut me any breaks, but he said I did fine. I want to go to you, Kenny. First of all, Kenny, thank you again. And let me ask you, um, tell us about your, and I'm going to use my term, perceived limitations. You have blindness and deafness. Tell us about those and have you had them since birth? Well, basically, when I, if I could say, Paul, uh, you can give me the time out and when I go too far. I talk a lot. I can just jabber all day. Okay. And Paul, I taught him a sign language that he had to do to keep me to zip it, you know. And um, it's like y'all doing football, you know, time out. And um, I was born early, two months early, and born brain damage, legally blind, actually in one eye, but I can't see that well. So I had Coca-Cola bottle glasses mm -hmm. back in the old days. You and I would know, I don't know if they call it back in your day, but oh, yeah. my day, I was to call the Coca-Cola boy. And they would make fun of me, woo, can you see me? And I'd go, shut up. And I always thought they had a problem, but I couldn't really hear them. And I thought, why do they keep doing this? They have new binoculars or something? So my friend would laugh, because they think, since I don't understand, they're not going to explain it to me. So I grew up thinking I was okay. And um, so because of the lack of oxygen, uh, I'm totally deaf, my left ear. My whole left side is paralysis. I have little paralysis, can't feel much. So when I go out with my date, I let her clap me on the left side because it doesn't hurt as much. <laughs> and then when my parents give me a whip and I turn my left butt in front of them, then father goes, no, 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 we know about your problem. Turn the other butt around. <laughs> so um, my life was basically because I would say the key that got me to realize that I'm okay, because my father will always call me his son. And my father even warned me, he said, when you get older, people's gonna pick on you, they're gonna bully you. And then I thought, okay, you know, that was, but he did it with love, he did. And so my parents never called me handicapped, disabled, 
uh, anything. They, uh, they, even at the table, my mother had nine children and I was the only one born with all the disability. And um, so daddy would always get me to do things, challenge me to climb up to the taller tree in our yard. And he threw me into a lake. I thought he was trying to drown me because I was a bad kid. And but there's a story when you read the book, all those stories are in the book. And basically goes back to because my parents treated me like a child of their son. Then I realized I was somebody's son. Then both my parents died when I was eight, five months apart. Then we moved from Dallas to Memphis. Then my foster father called me retarded, stupid every day, just like the high school did, I mean elementary. So that's basically where I wind up. But I focus on what my father told me. I try to keep remembering, you know, because when everybody always called me retarded, stupid, dumb, I don't know what it means. So I couldn't get upset because I don't know what it means. So in the book, Paul has a lot of stories in there. It sounds like adult stories, but if you read the book, you'll see what I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, you and I do share uh, even more so because I went through the same thing when I was going to school, in grade school in particular. Um, and I carried large print books. You ever, you ever seen a dictionary in large print? They're enormous. Yes. I mean, uh, Paul, that's kind of like uh, War and Peace. <laughs> mm -hmm. <Yeah. laughs> and I'm so, I, I bet you that most of the words in the dictionary are in War and Peace. I think maybe he filled in. Um, but one of the things that I found so interesting as I started growing up and going into high school uh, and then into college, and I only went to junior college. I've never been to university. I've been to vocational school. Uh, for broadcasting, and uh, then from there, 40 years of uh, the school of, I guess you call it hard knocks or what have you, uh, and I know we've all been there, uh, but all three of us in this case, we've, we've sort of come out the other side uh, with experiences that now, through Paul, Kenny, you're able to share, uh, that a lot of people are going to relate to. How did you feel when the suggestion was, was discussed about telling your story, putting your, your stories down into a book? Well, I was actually shocked, but the happiest man on earth, which Paul didn't know because we just met, having of my stories in a book has been a 30-year dream. Really? And so, yes, I used to work for Dollywood, for Dolly Parton. And I was a street character, because everybody tells me I was funny and had a, a beautiful personality, you know, spirit. Because when I went to work for Dollywood, I saw an opening to collect garbage. And that's what I wanted. I want to be left alone. I'm used to being alone because nobody really hangs out with me, even my family. So when I went for the interview, I said, I want that job for garbage, picking up garbage. And the guy looked at me, he goes, hmm, I don't think so. And so he wanted me to go see part of the park. I came back. He said, you're the most funniest person we've ever interviewed, and you're not going to be a garbage man. You're throwing away your talent. He said, we're going to make you a tweet character. I said, I don't want a tweet character. It's a one because I don't like people. And he just laughed and laughed, and I'm going, okay, whatever. And so I became a tweet character. So every holiday, I play a different character. Ah. So I became an actor shortly after that. I, started, I went to college, got a BA in acting, and my master in storytelling. Then I became a comedian. Which I don't see yet, but I'm still working on it. <laughs> you, uh, uh, so, so your 
interested, if I, if I can put it in broad strokes here, you're interested in, in the entertainment field, if, if you will. Yes, I mean, I, I, I have another dream that I've never told Paul, most people I don't, but I would eventually love to be in Broadway. But I want to play a, what you call a walk-on role, uh-huh. you know, where I'll be a butler, you know, and I trip over, you know, and like you said, the tea spills over to the queen, you know, she's freaking out, and I go, my God, it's only tea, you know, and uh, something like that, you know, uh, the Christmas Carol, I'd love to be the the man that died, uh, Groot's partner. Oh, yes. Uh huh. Yeah. I like to be him because he's got a short role. So I don't have to memorize many lines. <laughs> I am. Yesterday. Yeah, I, I would have to do improv because I haven't, uh, even though I've heard the techniques for memorizing lines, you know, putting a word picture in your head so that you remember the next word and so forth, kind of what right. I was sharing with you, Paul about tell me your story, new paradigms for a new world. If yeah. I can remember the, the, the symbols for each of those words and I keep them in the right order, I'll remember the words. Uh, I've also learned too, if you say them enough, if you say them enough times, you will remember them. And of course, uh, uh, that's, that's yeah. helped me in that regard. Yeah, so r- real quick, Richard, I just, sure. I don't want to walk Please. past what Kenny just said and no, just no, no. highlight that for your audience. Um, I mean, here, Kenny is somebody who his teachers and the school board and, and most of the adults in his life when he was a kid told him that, well, you'll never finish the third grade. I mean, given your, your learning disability, your deafness, your partial blindness, like third grade is where you're going you're gonna to top out. But he not only finished high school, got you know, a bachelor's degree, and at the age of 55, got a master's degree in storytelling. He's one of only two people in the world with a deaf, one of only two deaf people in the world with a master's degree in storytelling. So he's, just, he's overcome obstacles that uh, the world has put in front of him. Uh, it's just, he had to work a lot harder at it and took him a lot longer, but he, he's done it. And I just, I think that needs to be recognized. I would like to get Kenny's um, observations of the audience when he is, when, are, when you're telling a story, are you aware of whether or not you have the audience's attention or not? Uh, many times, no, because the lights are off. Okay. And I like it, you know. <laughs> okay. but, but, I get you. But what I do, I play off, actually, it's the audience that I play off of. When I do high school kids or I do uh, younger people, you know, they're in the audience, I can't see them. And I see two guys falling asleep or they're on their phone. I said, I became a character. I'm not kidding anymore. Then when I tell a story, it becomes real because most of it are personal. It's me. Mm-hmm. And so I'll never forget when I rolled the button for the first time and a bunch of black ones on the far back. Why were they sitting back there? And I walked over across the stage while I'm saying that. And I'm just pointing, but I can't point to those two. And they put down their phone and looked at me. And I just kept going. And they never took their eyes off of me. Because when I do storytelling like Cinderella, I play every character, the two stepsister. Oh, that's no white. Mm-hmm. Right? Cinderella. Cinderella. Two stepsister. Yeah. Mm-hmm. stepsister, the stepmother. And I love to play each character. I don't have to be Kenny. And so I'm hoping I've told Paul about it. I love to do another book, but I want it to be children's fairy tales. But every main character had the disability. Uh-huh. Like, like okay. I, want to, I want to do a play on the seven doors and play all seven characters. Then I want to do a book, part of that children's book, is that 
For example, um, the seven doors uh, in Snow White. Mm -hmm. And so when they're going down the road, oh, hey, uh, hey, oh, hey, oh, I don't know what they say. Hey, oh, hey, oh, I'm going to work. Yeah. Off to I, work we go. Yeah, I, I, I hope, I hope. Oh, it's off to work. Okay. Yeah. Well, all seven, all seven of the doors, two would be with no disability, and all the other, would, one would be blind. And you would see him in the, in the comic book, in the book, where he's walking behind the wagon, and somebody got his arm, you know, guiding him so he won't hit the wagon. And then on top of the wagon, be maybe two deaf people signing each other and singing in sign language. And then one Down syndrome. But I tell people that what you see is what you get. Yeah. <laughs> That's you true. know, and whoever I see, I gotta do the same thing. Yeah. I meet you for the first time and soon I see you, it never fell before you came on and said, God, please don't let the man have a beard or a mustache. And <laughs> nine nine out of ten of you always have a beard and a mustache. And I saw you and I got thank God he trimmed. And um <laughs> Because you'd be amazed how many people don't take care of their mustache. Oh, and so yeah. I live by faith. I, I live with my spirit every day. And I think that's what gives me the joy. Of just, uh, I'm still around. I mean, I'm almost, well, three more years, I'll be 70 years old. And I cannot wait. So I'm excited because now I can do stories about senior citizen and how much fun I have. Like Paul titled, the way we titled the book, I'm trying to get my inner child to grow up, but he keeps saying, leave me alone. And so I just got to live with that. So I'm not trying to fight it as much as I used to. Yeah. Well, I'm 60. I made it to 60 last June. I was, ah, congratulations. I was thrilled. Uh, there's, a, there's, a, uh, there's a wonderful line about change in uh, one of my favorite artists' songs, and it goes... Uh, uh, changes somehow frighten me. Still, I have to smile. It turns me on to think of growing old. And I used to listen to this particular song back in the 70s when I was a teenager. Hmm. And I used to think about that. Um, I, I want to jump back to Paul in just a moment. But first, Kenny, I want to ask you, because you, you've broached this already. Tell me about your and I use the word philosophy because it's, it's a broader uh, uh, construct in my, in my concept. What, what is the philosophy that you grew up with as compared with the philosophy that you live by today? Well, many people heard it, take one day at a time. Mm -hmm. But uh, I am who I am. I mean, it is, I, everybody wants me to get a hearing aid. They want me to get a cochlear implant. They want me to do this. They want me to do that. I didn't learn, learn sign language until 21. And so when I fell off the cliff and broke my neck, that's when it hit my head. And then when I got cancer and open heart surgery and two stroke, then I realized in, in 30 minutes, when I, even when I'm talking to you, I could fall over. You could fall over. Paul could fall over. But my point is, enjoy every moment you have in your breathing. Because mm -hmm. just recently, I mean, in the past seven years, on the left, my family, my mom had four kids. All of them are gone now. They all passed away. I'm the only one left in my family of the Tedfords. So I feel pretty excited that I'm still alive, but they thought I'd be dead a long time ago. Yeah. You know, and I said, you ain't going to get your wears up. I'm sorry. <laughs> but uh, I try to be proud, even though I don't all the time, even though I still deal with depression, but that doesn't control me. Right. My philosophy, whatever happened to you, it happened, right? So look at it and figure out 
how to live with it, but you won't forget it. Mm-hmm. I'll never forget it when I lay in that bed and I tell you, you'll never walk again. I would paralyze with my neck down. And then my best friend, Marty, we had a company together and we did the Power One uh, 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 workshop. And that was awesome. He would quadriplegic. And then he died uh, years ago. Mm. And so when I was paralyzed, I could see Marty hit wheelchair by my bed and telling me it's going to be okay. Wow. Paul, what about you? Uh, now, you've been writing for how long? Uh, really only about a decade now. Wow. Uh, this was only, only a decade. Only 10 well, years. <laughs> you know, yeah, I spent 20 years uh, doing more traditional corporate work. But uh, yeah, I've been an author now for, uh, for nine or 10 years. And I would bet it, it feeds your soul oh, yeah. in a big way. Tell me about your philosophy, what you grew up with compared to where you are today. Yeah, well, I, mean, I, I had a pretty traditional upbringing and, uh, and, and followed the career path that I thought a responsible adult male was supposed to follow. <laughs> you know, my, my, my dad was a businessman and his dad was a businessman. And even though I had passions for science and math and astronomy. I, I studied business and got an MBA and got a corporate job just because I thought that's what you were supposed to do. And it wasn't until about a decade ago that I decided to, uh, to follow a more passionate route when I, I, I kind of fell in love with the, the concept of storytelling. And so I literally quit my, my job uh, in my mid-40s, you know, too young to retire, to pursue a very different uh, career path and dream of being an author and a storyteller and I get to meet fascinating people like Kenny Tedford and write their, their stories. And so uh, that, that's the life that I'm leading now, which is much more uh, focused on pursuing a passion and being and creative and feeding my soul. In fact, I, I describe my, my mission now is in the, the five books that I've written so far is the odd numbered books need to feed my family, but the <laughs> even numbered books need to feed my soul. So, so my, my first, you know, third and, you know, fifth book, et cetera, I need to uh, provide family income and uh, fulfill, you know, create clients for me and create a business model. But, you know, the book on parenting and the book on Kenny Tedford, those are books to feed my soul. Yeah. And I, I think they just, they're, they're books I want to write to make the world a better place. And I, I'm, I'm convinced that Kenny's life being told does exactly that. Yeah. Do you think that somewhere down the road telling your story would be an appropriate opportunity for people to realize that that philosophy is an important one for everyone to take on that. Yeah. You've got to pay the bills, but at the same time, you can't get stuck in a job that you hate because it will just, it'll eat you alive. My father who is 89 this year, mother's 86 this year, they're still doing well. They're staying sequestered. I will not go visit them until this thing is over. <laughs> and they don't want me to either. Okay. So we're on the same page there. But he told me, he does not like to be called a, a, a man of wisdom or a wise guy. But he is a very wise, he was very wise in this phrase he gave me. Find a job you love doing because you're going to be doing it for a long time. Don't get stuck like me. Now, he was only stuck for a short time because he went on to go to junior college got his computer programming degree in the 70s where they used uh, fanfold paper and punch cards, okay? Mm-hmm. And so we had lots of paper to draw with when we were kids. Um, but I took that to heart, and I guess I was just in the right place at the right time because I got into radio reading, uh, the radio reading service, uh, and I was listening to talking books and recordings for the blind even in, in, when I was going to school in the 60s and 70s. 
And now I'm producing what they now call audible books. You know, mm-hmm. that's nothing new, people, please. Um, but um, uh, here I am today talking with the two of you about these incredible opportunities for people to learn, not only learn how to tell stories, but to tell their stories. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so to answer your question, there, there are certainly a few, uh, a handful of short stories from my life that I think are worthy of passing along to the next generation. And you'll see those show up in, in a few of my books, but no, my, my entire life story is not nearly interesting enough to write a whole book about, you know, you got to meet people like Kenny Tedford uh, to, to realize that, that, yeah, there, there are a few people in the world who, who warrant an entire book and I'm not one of them, but Kenny definitely is. Well, Kenny, you are, you're, you're extraordinary from the standpoint that you have allowed yourself to sort of be put, up, put out uh, in the front window, okay, of the bookstore, so to speak, uh, and to, to share a story that for a lot of people, and I've met a lot of blind people in particular, some who had some hearing issues, uh, who are very private. They want nothing to do with the outside world from that standpoint. Look, my father. Uh, he's a spiritual guy, but I don't know much about his, his spiritual life, his philosophy, because it's not something that he shared with me or has shared with me, even to this day, because it's, I don't think he would put it quite like this, although he might, it's none of my business. His relationship with his God, with his creator, you know, that's his business. And if he wants to share it, he will. And if he doesn't, I respect that. I'm the kind of, I'm very gregarious and I'll tell you anything you want to know. <laughs> so Kenny, what is next on the horizon for you? What, what are you going to do? I mean, you've, you've listed a lot of your dreams, but is there something concrete on, the, on, the, on your path? Uh, I, I don't want to necessarily say, so is the book going to be made into a movie uh, or a TV series or something or but what have you got going on right now that you're excited about that's, that's coming up? <laughs> well, I'm doing a uh, motivational talk through the uh, Board of Education for Special Education Teachers, and they're set next month. And so that's in my hometown, Owen, Tennessee, where they call it Unicoi. And uh, so I'll be doing that next month. But it's my first gig since I got whatever you call it, the coronavirus hit March 1st. Because me and Paul went on a 12-day trip, and it was the best time of my life when I was just bubbling. And we did a lot of book signing. We went to every town with our family and relatives and his family. And um, all I could think of then was, oh, my gosh, you know, what I just told you earlier where I go, we don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. And then my manager in California, Chris Lee, sent me an email. I'm sorry to say, but all your gigs and everything canceled because of coronavirus. So I'm just waiting, I'm, just, I'm, I'm trusting God, uh, but again, I don't know what's ahead of me. I'm trying to learn the Zoom better, and I love to do workshops, which I got to do, I don't know how you do it, I think Paul's doing it, but short stories, you know? And then people I get go in there and they gotta pay to see it or something, I don't know. And then, because I love to do, I would love to do it, I would like to do a CD for the blind, stories on tape. You know, even if Paul does it, I don't care. <laughs> but read it from the book so that blind people can share the book as well. Well, I will tell you that uh, just as a side note, I produce audio books, as I mentioned earlier. 
and I've uh-huh. you. I even produced a children's book by one gal uh, who who actually flew down here from Oregon, and in one day, because it wasn't it's not a long book, uh, you can uh, we recorded in two two-hour sessions, and it was like grandma reading to the kids. It was fabulous. Of course, I'm, I've got my copy of the book, and I'm following along, making sure that, you know, we're going in the right direction and everything's correct. And every so often, she'd change the words, but she just kept right on going. And I'm thinking, well, wait a minute. She's the author. She can change the words in the audible. It's not that big of a deal because the story is still the same. And we added sound effects and music and Oh, it was, it was great fun to do. So maybe we can talk about that uh, at a later time. But uh, Paul, what about you? Uh, what's, what's on the horizon for you uh, in terms of maybe another book? I know, of course, we're all, we can't travel right now, but that's going to change here soon, I think. And uh, we'll be able to, to start to mingle again. Uh, there is one country as of our conversation here that's actually gotten back to normal. And it's kind of an irony. Point? China. China has actually started to get back to normal. Now, there are still people who choose to wear masks, but everything's opened up. People are out and doing their thing because they got control of it. But apparently here in the United States, our independent streak has sort of prevented us from doing that. And we could have had this thing done uh, months ago. We haven't had the leadership. Uh, We've certainly had the guidance from the World Health Organization, from the CDC, and we've been running PSAs like you would not believe for the three factors that I call mask up, wash up, back up. That's my <laughs> slogan, okay? And yeah, I like uh, it. if we just would do that, it, it we'd be done, but we just have too many people that are have bought into a lot of other theories and constructs and so forth that it's not that big of a deal it's nothing worse than the flu blah 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 in spite of over as of this conversation 210 to 15,000 human beings human beings not numbers who aren't with us anymore and that's that's very sad anyway what about uh, back to to the positives what's on the horizon for uh, Paul Smith yeah, well, if everything did get back to normal right away, that would be wonderful. But uh, like Kenny said, you know, when you're in our, our line of work, you know, 90% of your income is generated from speaking and training engagements. So uh, at the end of March, all of that came to a screeching halt. So I've spent the last few months and I'm still in the process of building more virtual online products that people can buy and, and uh, you know, so they can hear from me either for a keynote or a training event or something in a virtual format or producing pre-recorded training courses. And so I've got a number of different platforms that I'm producing for right now. So I'm having to shift my business model to be one that's delivered virtually. And it, it, it's a lot more difficult than you'd, you'd think, but uh, it, it, it's working, but I'd still prefer to get back to normal at some point. Absolutely. I couldn't agree with you more. I, 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 I love the fact that uh, this whole zoom thing has opened up opportunities for me that I never even thought of before. And of course, this program is going to be on YouTube uh, shortly, produced up with uh, music and intro and the whole thing and, and look very cool and, and uh, uh, giving you gentlemen uh, exposure. Kenny, you with your new book. Uh, are you thinking maybe, I know you mentioned before you wanted to write some, some additional stories. Um, there was a phrase that I had thought of when you mentioned that. Now I can't think of it. Uh, um, your child wants to tell children stories. And I think that's a great, 
a great thing that we all need to get in touch with. Uh, back in the 70s, 80s and 90s, they called, you know, talked about our inner child, you know, kind of thing. Uh, and, uh, and, and what I find so fascinating is that from a biblical standpoint, and speaking of stories, uh, biblical stories, uh, there's this one phrase in refer reference to children, um, uh, come to me as little children. Not childlike, not whining and complaining, but with that childlike spirit that you have, Kenny, and I know you have, Paul, and I have, with the passion and the enthusiasm for just living right now in this moment that is so, so fantastic. So uh, I, I applaud you for your dream, and I encourage you to do it. Obviously, Paul is there that I'm sure the two of you can collaborate and put it together uh, because uh, this is something that... Uh, uh, the world needs, not just right now, we've always needed it, but certainly right now it's, it's critical. And, and I thank the two of you for, for sharing. Now, Kenny, would you say that this book that uh, Paul has uh, written or ghostwritten, I guess you might say for you or with you, Four Days with uh, Kenny Tedford, uh, Life Through the Eyes of a Child Trapped in a Partially Blind and Deaf Man's Body, is it just a series of stories or is it sort of autobiographical? Uh, not sure of the question. Yeah, let, let me take a stab at sure. this. He's asking about uh, how the book He's is using written, big so. words again. Oh. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> You're talking so to the, a child here. I may be near 70 by my kid. Okay. Yeah. So, so the, the original idea from the, for the book was that it would be an autobiography written in the first person from Kenny's perspective, and I would essentially be the ghostwriter. But as we got into working on it and talking to publishers about it, um, it, it turned out a much better idea was to write it in third person from my perspective uh, with each of the, the stories that make up his entire life. I mean, your, your life is a series of short stories but that it also include my reflections on his life and my family. So the, the title of the book became Four Days with Kenny Tedford, referring to the four days that he spent at my house for me to interview him from eight o'clock in the morning until eight o'clock at night for four days to get his entire life story. But my wife and kids, you know, were over my shoulder the whole time, you know, like listening to this fascinating man tell these fascinating stories. And so now the, the book is, you know, my wife and kids are characters in the book. I'm a character in the book because you see the back and forth between me asking a question, Kenny answering the question with that story from that part of his life, and then me reflecting on what, what, how does that make me feel? What does it make me think about my own parenting skills, my own humanity? You know, my wife reflecting on that, my kids, you know, what, what did they think about that? And how does it make them think about behaving differently at school? And then we go to the next story. So it really is a more complex thing now than just a simple uh, chronological uh, biography of Kenny Tedford's life. It is showing the impact that his stories are having on a real audience, me and my family. Mm -hmm. Well, I, I'm excited to buy uh, the, the fact that it's out there for everyone to read so that they not only uh, get the import of each of the stories, but they get to know somebody who is, if you will, different from the norm. Although I'm sure, Paul, you've got some perceived limitations in your life too, just like everybody else. And uh, it's all how we adjust. It's all how we cope with them 
manage them, if you will, or, or see them. As I said, perceived limitations. I remember queuing up a record, black vinyl, for the first time and wondering, how am I going to do this on a regular basis? Because this radio station plays music a lot. We have these music sets. Well, I learned to be able to grab the vinyl from the cabinet, put it on the turntable within five to 10 seconds, it was queued ready to go. And someone watched me do that. And I was looking really close and everything. And they said, but you're blind. How are you doing that? And I said, I have no idea. I just am. <laughs> it, that just works. Yeah, that's actually one of the major points in the book, which by the way, we, in the, the last chapter of the book, we try and summarize kind of the life lessons from Kenny's life. And one of those is about the fact that everybody has disabilities of some kind or another. So you mentioned it. So my disability is uh, navigation. Like I can literally, I can get lost in my own neighborhood. Okay. Mm -hmm. So my kids know if they want directions on how to get somewhere, ask mom, because dad doesn't <laughs> have a clue. And my wife's limitation is mathematics. Like, so when the kids know if they need help with their math homework, ask dad, not mom, yeah. you know? And so, so we, we talk about some of Kenny's limitations in the book. And then we talk about how we all have some limitations. We just, we don't talk about them that much. We assume that, well, I'm, I'm normal. So I have normal functioning. Well, I don't when it comes to navigation and my wife doesn't when it comes to math, you know, Kenny's just are a little bit different. Uh, so we, we all have them. Yeah. And Kenny, you mentioned, of course, people uh, saying to you, well, you should get hearing aids or a cochlear implant and all of these different things. And I have to tell you for 35, well, I shouldn't say 35, but as I reached into my 30s, mid 30s, I was trying to get a driver's license just to drive a moped. I could see well enough to bicycle. So I was bicycling to and from work and on and on and on. And finally, because I couldn't get them to give me the driver's license, I just, I gave up. I said, you know what? Being legally blind and bicycling until I'm 65 or 70, that's not such a bad life. It's okay. And it wasn't giving up on a dream. It was just saying, you know what? I, I just, I'm not going to waste my energy anymore. I'm going to focus on the things that are working for me and bicycling works for me. Lo and behold, only a year later, as my vision was deteriorating, uh, I got a lens implant. And now I'm, I'm able to drive. Technology finally caught up with me, so to speak. And, and I'm, I'm, I was good the other way. I had ex it was more of an acceptance, not so much giving up. It was accepting. This is the way I am, and it's okay. And then when that opportunity came along, I thought, shoot, why not? But in your case, you've accepted the way you are. And it's okay. It's great, right? Yes. I mean, even now, I, I've got to get used to this. But I was in the grocery store the other day, and I dropped something. And I bet you five or six people came running over to pick it up. And I'm trying to pick it up myself. They go, that's okay. So we'll get it. We'll get it. I go, God, being no, it's not so bad. You know, <laughs> so I'm going to take advantage of it, you know. So now I can tell somebody... Oh, it's so far to walk with the car and it's raining. Can somebody take my key and get my car? I swear to you, three stock boy came up. I get it, Mitchell. I'll get it. And I go, oh, go away. And they go, oh, you're playing with it. I go, yes. <laughs> I'm well, having fun being old. <laughs> well, because I've never, I never been old. So it's brand new to me. So I'm going to go and make the best of it. There you go. I, I tell you, though, uh, maybe chronologically, and uh, biologically, 
but certainly not spiritually. Uh, not that personality is not old. I guarantee you, you are that child at heart. And uh, I take that to heart too, that I'm going to work as I get close to 70, which is another 10 years away. Uh, as I get close <laughs> to 70, I'm going to work to remember Kenny Tedford and the child that he was. And hopefully uh, maybe when I'm 70, I know you'll be close to 80. So maybe we'll talk again then because uh, I'd love to find out uh, how you're doing, what you're doing, if you've written those stories uh, and, and so forth. I, I really do like the one with the seven dwarfs and uh, uh, six of them have the, the different disabilities, the different perceived limitations. And yet there are seven of them. They hang together. They work together. Hi-ho, hi-ho, and away we go. And I thank you both for being on the program today. This has been an extraordinary an extraordinary uh, uh, conversation um, of uh, insight, information, as well as story. Well, thank, thank you for you. having us. It was, we, we were glad to I be here. I appreciate it. I, I want to ask you finally, Kenny, uh, and I actually, um, I actually have three final questions for the two of you, which I'll share in a moment. But I want to ask... What, what's that? English. English? No words. He, he, he means no big words. No big words. You're talking to, you're no talking to my child, not this old man. No, no worries. I'll, I'll use small words. Um, uh, I'm curious, uh, Kenny, as to um, the question that I was going to ask you has just slipped to my mind. So here's what I will do. We'll just move on to thanking you, the two of you, for joining us here on the program. Paul Smith, Kenny Tedford. The book is entitled Four Days with Kenny Tedford. And it is available at, uh, through your website, Paul, paulsmith.com. Uh, no, it's lead actually Leading with Stories. Leadwithastory.com. 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 But you can find the book on Amazon and Barnes Amazon. and Noble and Absolutely. all those places. Four Days with Kenny Tedford. So the three final questions that I have for the two of you, and I'm going to uh, uh, bounce it back and forth so that one of you can think about the answer while the other's answering and vice versa. So the first of three questions is, Kenny, who is Kenny Tedford? Well, he's Kenny Tedford. <laughs> I am who I am. I mean, I never meant to be anybody else. Uh, maybe when I was younger, like a teenager, I wish I would do a muscular, you know, I wish I was handsome, but this is who I am. I mean, I just want to share compassion and love because I've been bullied much all my life. Mm -hmm. And because of that, I know what it's like for other people. So I tell people when you meet somebody, I don't care who they are. If I let people come to me and say, oh, whoa, whoa, why are you crying? I'm gay. I said, awesome. And he looked at me like, but you're a creature. Who said, I can't love a gay person. Give me a hug. Give me a hug. So I'm just saying that's how I see him. I didn't see him as a gay person, but if I did, so what? He, yeah. He's open about it. So I, I tell people, when you meet someone, take them where they're at. Don't change them. Let them be trained by you, if that's what you're trying to do. But let them make the decision, not you. Yeah. Paul, who is Paul Smith? Kenny Tedford's brother. <laughs> I would say. I started out as his uh, biographer, and then we became friends but I'm pretty sure we're family now. That's where we are. Well, I feel like he's a big, well, I can't say, I'm going to say an older brother, but he's a kid. Yeah. I think he's only like 30 years old. You and I are up there in the senior citizen bracket. 
All right, well, here's question number two for Paul. What is it that you hope to or want to achieve through the work that you're doing now? Oh, I, definitely to, to make the world a better place, which I know sounds cliche, but, um, but that, that's why I left my corporate career. I mean, you know, nobody ever stood up and applauded at the end of a budget meeting and, uh, you know, nothing I ever did at, at my office ever came close to changing the world. But I'm, I'm convinced now that through telling stories like Kenny's that I, I can make the world a better place, one story at a time. Mm -hmm. And that's my mission today is to make the world a better place, one story at a time. And, uh, and Kenny's got a lot of them. So, uh, so he helps me do that a lot. And Kenny, what is it yes. that you hope to or want to achieve through the work that you're doing now? I hope to be able to, I guess one of my goals, which I share with people, is that I would love to go to every deaf school in the United States, even California, to encourage the kids of all ages. Um, your dream is there. If you have a dream, it's your dream. Don't let anybody stop you from doing it, because I've been told that so many. Paul brought up the word, or you did, the word normal. I, people would let me do nothing. I couldn't drive because I wasn't normal. And I go home and say to my foster mother, what's normal? She goes, why are you asking? Because nobody let me do this. I can't go swimming because I'm not normal. Mm. So anyway, they told me, I just don't understand it. But my focus of the book itself is my story would teach compassion. This country is so divided right now. We need to just listen to each other and be open, you know, not judgmental. Yeah. And the final question for the two of you. And I start with Kenny. Kenny, what is your life's purpose? To teach people about love. Uh, I really believe my purpose. I asked myself that a long time, way back when I was young. And I'm finding out that it's to make people, I'm hoping I can make people laugh, you know, even when you're hurting. And, um, but trying to see, let them see it in a different way. Um, find love, compassion, and forgiveness. And when you when you can do that, you're gonna have a peace of mind. But I also let my spirit guide me, and so that's where a lot of people tell me when they see me, you got a beautiful spirit. And you do indeed, Paul. What is your life's purpose? Gosh, that that is a huge question. But I'll, I'll try and give you a short answer. Um, I, I wouldn't define it by my job. Although I'm, I'm much more ready to do that now that my job is doing what I do now. When I had a regular corporate job, that wouldn't even come into the answer at all. But now that my mission through these books is to make the world a better place, I, I'd like to think that's my purpose. Um, but I got a, a big purpose at home here with a, a wife and two boys to raise. And, uh, you know, a big part of my purpose is to make sure that they are ready for the world and the world is ready for them. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, I want... I want to leave the world a better place through what I'm doing professionally and what I'm doing at home with my, my family. That's my goal. And speaking of your two sons, this just came to me. Um, do they see Kenny as a, a, an uncle, a big brother, grandfather? How do they see him? Yeah, well, you'll, you'll probably have to read the book to get the best answer to that because it, it changed, it changed quite a bit. I mean, he's trying to I be mean, nice honestly, not to call me a grandfather. That's what he's doing. <laughs> well, I mean, honestly, you know, both of them, when I told them that, hey, there's this, uh, you know, 60 year old 
cognitively impaired, deaf, partially blind man that's going to come and live with us for four days. <laughs> you know, they both kind of freaked out in their own little way. You know, one of them because he's, he's an introvert and that just, you know, that kind of scared him. And the other one was, you know, he's seven years old or something and didn't care. You know? <laughs> and, but over the course of the four days, he just worked his way into our family's soul. And so uh, I, I would say they probably view him as Uncle Kenny now. That's Whereas great. before he was just some guy that daddy works with, who's kind of weird, you know, <laughs> different. And, you In know, a but good that, way. A good kind of weird. Well, at, at the beginning, no, it was a bad weird. It was, you know, well, before they even met him, like they just heard that there's guys going to come to our house. And, but, but so the, the transformation over four days that, and you see that throughout the course of the book, uh, it just was amazing that, like I said, he, he went from being a stranger to a colleague, to a friend, to family in the course of four days, you know, and that's just, that's, that's hard to imagine, but that's really what happened. Yeah. Well, I thank the two of you for joining us here on the program and sharing your stories. And I'm hoping that one of these days, uh, on your tour, on your revised, uh, revisited, uh, resurrected uh, uh, traveling tour. And Kenny, I'm with you on this. I love traveling too. My wife and I went on a couple of uh, uh, a little vacations with our truck and travel trailer. And I couldn't wait to get on the road. And, and we're supposed to do it around Thanksgiving of 2020 and Christmas, maybe. Uh, just, just to get away. I love doing it. And meeting new people. And uh, uh, having those new stories come into our lives of these people, it's just, uh, so I can hardly wait. And hopefully you guys can make it out here to California, to Santa Barbara. Uh, and uh, we can sit down either across the table or who knows, maybe around a campfire. Would that not be a blast? And uh, tell those stories that uh, make the biggest difference in our lives. And again, I thank you, the two of you, for joining us here on the program. You're welcome. Thanks for having us. It's an honor. Thank you. I'm Richard Dugan. I would also like to thank you for listening to and watching Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. We are giving you choices and knowledge of those choices to help make your dreams come true. Please pick up a copy. Go to uh, the website. Go to Amazon and get a copy of Four Days with Kenny Tedford and find out more about Kenny and his life and then look forward to more stories coming out from Kenny, whether it be solo or through, through Paul, Paul Smith as well. Um, he's an author. He's a consultant. He's a coach, a speaker, a storyteller, and uh, can help a lot of you uh, uh, out in that regard. And we will be linked to their website. So don't forget that. I'm Richard Dugan. This has been Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World, giving you choices and knowledge of those choices to help make your dreams come true. And until our next I can't believe I'm going to say this, broadcast, podcast, videocast, love to love.